guys welcome to in the zone i'm your host garrison roy and today we have a full-length interview but before we get into that if you know of anyone that you'd want to have on the podcast or you got any questions topics that you want to be covered in the future feel free to send that in to in the zone podcast one two three at gmail.com and that'll be in the show notes as well Uh, but yeah if you get any value out of this definitely share the show because that's how we spread the word. We don't run ads or anything like that, mainly because it's annoying and we're just here to provide as much value as possible. But without further ado, we have Alex Effer today, who's the owner of Resilient Training and Rehab. What's going on, Alex? Hey, Garrison. Thanks so much for having me, man. I always love doing these podcasts. Absolutely. Yeah, dude. Pleasure to have you on. And I know we kind of connected over Instagram and was just looking at over your posts. And I really like how, you know, you, you simplify things and make some of the very complex, um, you know, topics you make those really, really simple and break them down into actual principles, more digestible things that people can actually kind of conceptualize versus us coaches may go down into the weeds a little bit too much, you know? Yeah. A hundred percent. And, you know, when I was getting in this industry, I was guilty of that. I would, when I was taking courses like PRI, uh, DNS, FRC, like I was really getting stuck on the certain algorithms that they were using and like, okay, everybody has left AIC. Okay. I got to do this kind of exercise initially. I don't care what they're telling me from, Mm. you know, if they've got, you know, knee pain, if they feel like, you know, like if they're an athlete, they feel like they can't get off their right leg. They feel like they can't produce power. Like, I didn't care what it was. It was like, this is how I need to do it because this is what I was taught. And so that, that really came because I was studying all of them at once, like one after the other and just trying to front load it. And so I was really in the weeds, but it took me a while and working with a lot of people to understand how to, like, how to actually use these principles mm-hmm. in an effective way to get the results that I need, but also not necessarily getting people on the ground and just breathing, but getting them upright and just modifying their strength program through a more intelligent and strategic way. Yeah, I love that you said that, actually, because, you know, Sometimes coaches, whenever they see it from the outside, like, oh, he's a PRI guy or he's a this guy or he's this, right? They have yeah. that perceived notion that like, oh, hey, like they're they're just going to give me, you know, oh, if I have this posture, if I see this pattern, then you get X, Y, Z. And there's no yeah. deviating off of that. But the fact that you're, you know, open to being like, okay, hey, like I need to listen to what they're saying. I need to hear certain things because that was honestly, in my opinion, my first initial response to some of the PRI principles that I had. I was like... I feel like I don't fit either one of these, you know, <laughs> models that they had. You yeah. Know? Well, a hundred percent. And like, yeah, I was the exact same way. Like I would see people who their range of motion was actually much better on the left side versus the right, which again, went against the traditional method. And that's when I started to explore other things. And I even reached out to um, 
other people in the industry who were working in professional sports in the private sector who had been using these principles for a while and understood how to use them. But more importantly, they were also using them in a strength conditioning setting as well, because, you know, it's easy to, you know, I do both. Like I do a lot of rehab. Like I just seem to be the the pain guy and the rehab guy now. Yeah. Um, well, you're, you're that, solving problems that other people don't have the knowledge base to solve. Yeah. And that's really what it is. Like I just, when I, what happened was I started working at a clinic, a sports medic clinic way back like six years ago. And this was a clinic that people would go to if they'd gone everywhere else and weren't getting issues or sorry, weren't getting, um, you know, any type of relief or like solutions. And we were the people who had an outside of the box perspective to look at this. And so I was working with osteos, chiros, physios, like all these different things. And so I was just a sponge at the time, just trying to absorb as much information, but also coming in like, Hey, I took PRI, DNS, FRC, I'm trying to apply these principles, but, you know, really working with or talking to people who had done it and understand how to implement it really allowed me to, you know, climb out of the hole that I was in with all this information. And as you said, like people are like, oh, he's talking about joint position or he's talking about breathing or talking about, you know, pelvic positions. He must be a PRI guy. It's like, I'm not like PRI is based on osteo, like osteopathy and an amalgamation of different systems. And so really, if you break down every single system out there, they're all based on the same fundamental principles of movement, gait and breathing. Everything can be extrapolated from that because the reality when we're working with somebody, we're not looking at, you know, this dead guy anatomy of origins and assertions. Do you know what I mean? Like we're not looking at a box step as being, hey, it just flexes my elbow. No, when my hand is on the ground, the bicep becomes something very different and it can really influence my shoulder's ability to internally, externally rotate, change my rib cage position. So just because we're talking about things that are similar, they're very different. And I mean, the last, for example, like the last PRI course I took was probably in 2016. That's a long time ago, right? And so like, I can't just be that person. I've learned so much since then um, through applying, figuring out what works. And more importantly, figuring out how I can create a model that no matter what context I'm working in, it works. Mm -hmm. And so the biggest change that I had was I was working at a university and they brought me in as the injury prevention guy, right? Where I was basically there to consult on every sports team and look at their off-season and in-season programming throughout, like, so their, their entire process and thinking about how I can modify exercises. First, it started with how I can introduce warmups that are going to prevent injuries because where it started was the football team um, out of like 80, like out of 80 athletes, 60 of them got hurt in preseason, right? Non-contact injuries, right? So it's so substantial. And so for me, I was the person like, how do I keep people healthy? And so first to start warmups, 
Then I was tasked to create progression models of like exercises progressively. And then it was, hey, let's take a look at every strength conditioning program. How can we modify the exercises in different blocks to ensure that we're improving movement and therefore reducing injury? Now, obviously, I'm aware that there's no way to predict injury or oh, yeah, not at all. There's multiple system. factors involved too. Especially. Multiple factors. But a big factor that I can control as a movement person is how can I give this person as much movement options as I can or that they need in order to produce their force and then, to produce their sport? And then how do I take that movement I've established, introduce more load and more force production without stealing too much movement? And then on the same turn, how do I then build capacity and speed without, again, taking away movement options? I can improve movement options through um, conditioning. I can improve movement options through speed work, through power, through med ball throws. I just have to respect the position that I put the person in and the different force vectors that I'm manipulating because, again, going back to gait, We've got horizontal force vectors and vertical force vectors. Horizontal, uh, like walking backwards, would be more of this heel strike shifting the center of gravity back. Whereas horizontal going forward, propelling myself, accelerating myself, well, that's going to be more toe off. That's going to require a lot more force and restriction of movement options. I need to steal movement options to be able to produce as much force into the ground as possible. And then we've got the mid stance, which is where internal rotation is, and that's more vertical. So for example, I can do a backward sled drag. Well, that's that negative or the backwards horizontal. I could then do lateral uh, sled drags. That's your more vertical influencing more internal rotation, more force into the ground. And then I can do forward sled pulls, which is going to be more of my forward horizontal. And so you can see how we can now extrapolate the information of gait and apply it to all these different buckets of <laughs> strength conditioning, movement, rehab, right? And because rehab and training, they're yes, they're on a spectrum, I guess you could say, but they're so close together. Sure. Like a rehab session with me working with somebody looks like a strength session because it's just picking the right exercise. And so. Skip ahead the next 60 seconds if you don't want to find out about a company I co-founded, Ink Sports Performance. So here's the scoop. At Ink Sports Performance, we get it. We were athletes ourselves, former college and professional pitchers. We were also former college coaches as well. Rob and I, we don't do one-size-fits-all programs. We custom craft each training and throwing program and offer that one-on-one -on -one coaching support that you need where you're not just a number. We're all about that personal touch. We'll dive into your training videos, whip up some of the program designed to take you to your next level. Nothing cookie-cutter here. So if you, one of your friends, or maybe a player that you know, is serious about competing at the next level, have, hit us up on our website, give us a call, get that set up at inksportsperformance.com. And also just a heads up, 
we're also very selectful, selective who we take, right? We only take a handful of dedicated athletes, and if you're not putting in the work, we'll have to say goodbye. So let's ink you in to the next level. You got to find where they're at on the map as their starting point. It's going to be a little bit different. Sure. Exactly. Exactly. And so, so my point with all this is that because I've worked in the clinic as well as in the strength conditioning setting, I know that, that doing breathing stuff on the ground just wasn't cutting it mm-hmm. when I was working with a full team of football players, when I was working with, you know, 15 guys coming in and 15 guys and 15 girls coming in for, for baseball. You know, like I was training the baseball team and like they, we couldn't just do breathing drills the whole time. I had to modify their program um, to make sure they were healthy, make sure that I can maintain range of motion in their shoulder as much as I could, mm-hmm. not too much, but enough that they needed. Cause I knew that as the season goes on, the pitcher is going to lose internal rotation of their shoulder. So how do I maximize the ability to hold on to some internal rotation so they don't have to arch their back. They don't have to side bend. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't have to hike their hip up in order to produce these, or they don't have to side bend their neck in order to produce these movements. Mm-hmm. And so that's where it kind of evolved from working in these different environments and allowing me to apply it in different ways. And so I don't think I'm a PRI guy. I think I'm just like Alex, you know, like I'm yeah. just like a movement guy, I think, you know. <laughs> I love it. That's how, that's honestly how you should be. Cause it's just like, Hey, whatever works, whatever gets the athlete better. Right. It's doesn't matter which necessarily like principles you use or what yeah. information you, you know, got some, some things from, but I love what you said about, um, you know, like how your rehab is very similar to a strength program. And obviously, you know, you don't want to be stuck on the ground and, different guys are going to progress a little bit differently. But if, if you think that only doing the breathing exercises is the answer, mm. you know, you're missing a whole nother piece of the puzzle where it's, you know, they're going to get ready to go and be moving dynamically and, you know, throwing, hitting, doing a bunch of rotational stuff or, you know, what have you, right? Like you got to be able to have something for them to apply and have that option, like you said, to, to be able to choose from. So if they, if they're never exposed to that and they're on the ground all the time, can never expect them to have that. Uh, yeah, show up. exactly. And that's why like, and on the other side, like I'm not saying that the breathing stuff doesn't help because it really does. Like I will use things on the ground and be like, Hey, look, your body is super stiff, which means you suck at managing gravity. Like you have a hard time standing up against gravity. You start arching your back, you shift your pelvis over your toes. So everything stiffens up. So I need to do it as I need to bring you on the ground first, because that's going to unload your body, mm-hmm. eat your body, gain some context on the ground and be like, Hey, these are the movements that we need to produce with this joint position. And in turn, these muscles. So when I stand you up, I'm going to put you in a position that should facilitate the exact same thing, but I'm going to do it maybe in a wall squat position. Maybe I do it holding on to cables. Maybe I get you to face the cable machine versus away from the cable machine. Because if I get you to hold on to the cable facing towards it, the cable is going to pull you towards it. So you automatically have to push yourself back against it. So therefore, I'm shifting your center of gravity backwards 
mm-hmm. without having to cue you, hey, heel heavy. It's like if you're not in your heels, you're going to be falling forward. It's going to pull you, sure. right? So how can I use these constraints to get the exact same thing that was on the ground? I can squat them to a box. I can elevate their heels. I can elevate their toes. I can get them to do a crossover step up versus a step down or a step forward step up, right? So taking these principles and saying, hey, look, I know this person has a lot of stiffness, which means when they're walking, they're slamming into the ground. They've got the elephant foot when they're walking. Mm -hmm. I need to figure out a way to bring their center of gravity back, unload them, unweight them, which is just bringing the center of gravity back so I can restore range of motion, but they still feel like they're moving and training. So one person may get a box squat, a goblet box squat. The other person may get a heels elevated goblet box squat because I need to restrict their depth so they don't feel like they're falling. So we have to stiffen up mm-hmm. and I need to shift their center of gravity back. So I elevate their heels and I put the weight in front of them. So now I've just constrained their body to say, Hey, the only thing I want you to think about is don't lose the inside part of your foot and then just go up and down. I don't have to cue anything else. I can now talk to them. I can build rapport, but they're doing the movement. I've constrained their system enough that their body's going to organize itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like that. Now, obviously it's going to take time for them to see that. Like it's not going to be a few sessions for, for them to choose that pattern. Right. So no, it's progressive. Sure. Yeah. yeah. As with anything, right. And throwing, hitting, strength training in general, right. It's, it's going to be a progressive overload. Mm-hmm. Um, has there ever been any instances where you've gotten, I guess, quote unquote stuck, or maybe like you get, a, get them to do all these moves. And then all of a sudden, like when they go back to playing or whatever, they revert, they still revert back to those old patterns um, in a way, not, not saying that you can completely, you know, change them but it, let's say there's there's a guy that you've been with for a while and they're just like you're still kind of like beating your head up against the wall with that 100 percent. like i i have people that i'm stuck with all the time and that's really how you know my thought process has evolved is because i've had to think about different ways in order to you know create a new you know stimulus or strategy or load so that they can adapt um But when that happens, typically, so for example, let's say you have a baseball pitcher, okay? And one of the biggest things that they have is right low back pain in their right-hand pitcher, okay? They keep on getting this right low back pain. And no matter what I do, like, so the, 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 the right back pain feels better. And then after a few games, it starts to come back again because they start getting tired. They start to default. So when that happens, I've got two things that I think about. One, first of all, what I do is I take a look at how they pitch, like kind of like a slow motion pitch, like each, like a still frame picture of each phase of the pitch, just to look at how their foot's contacting, specifically their left foot, how their left foot is contacting the mound. Because every time your foot hits the mound, it's going to, it's not going to hit the mound the same way because the dirt is going to shift. Oh yeah. So there's, there's different variables. There's going to be certain games where there's going to be more of a pothole. Yeah. Totally with you on that. Exactly. We're talking and about the lead leg. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the lead leg, sorry, the left lead leg, right? And so with that being said, I've got to make sure that they've been exposed to some variation of that movement, right? I can think of like, a, okay, if I haven't had my left lead leg going forward, mm-hmm. left lead leg, the intention of that is to push my body back into the right arm as my right arm peels back. That's what its main thing is. If I take a step with my left foot and my pelvis just dumps over that left foot because I don't have the mobility in the left leg or um, in the ankle or the knee or something like that, or somewhere up the chain on that left side, maybe my left shoulder blade is retracted. So it's keeping me back on that left side. So now what I have to do is I've got to arch my right back to try to get away from the left side. I can't push myself from left to right. So I've got to arch my back to orient or pull myself that way. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm thinking, okay, where is the issue up the chain? Take a look at the hips and be like, all right, well, left hip internal rotation is not there. So I need to restore left hip internal rotation. I need to make sure the tibia is able to internally rotate. I need to make sure that that left chest wall is able to expand so I can turn back to the right. Because if I want to turn back to the right, I need the post, like I need my right back to expand, to open, to get that external rotation, mm-hmm. to get the heel back, right? Instead of, like I said, arching your back to get the external rotation, because that's what they're doing. And so I think of that thought process and then I try to address it. I'm not trying to do like a, like, for example, something that I may do in this context is like a left front foot elevated split squat with a right rack position, right? Because the front foot elevated position is going to shift my center of gravity back on the left side. It's going to keep me from falling on my toes and keep me back. And then the rack position is going to open up my right upper back. So now as I go down into the splits, or as I come out of the split squat, it's as if my left foot has contacted the ground, the lead leg has contacted the ground, and my right arm is peeling back. So I can select exercises like that in order to, you know, expose the body to the strategy they need. Mm -hmm. When I get, if let's say they're like, you know what, that really helped. Like I just did a few pitches after I did that and I feel great. But then let's just say as the end of the game, like as they they approach the end of the game, they start feeling their back pain again. Okay, well, now I know it's a capacity thing. So now i got to focus on capacity, right? So now it's like, okay, we can get the motion, but you can't hold on to it. As soon as you get tired, you start to lose it. So now what I do, then when I'm thinking, okay, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to gas this person. I'm going to throw them on the aerodyne and I'm going to obliterate them so that when they're tired, I'm now going to teach them how to do that same split squat that worked, but in an, a fatigue-induced state. So because as soon as you become fatigued, there's a different movement pattern strategy that happens in your brain. We've got our rested movement pattern that we typically train people. You know, we warm up, say, hey, this is going to position your body in this position. They're rested. Okay. My brain can now process that movement pattern. 
As soon as we fatigue, it's now in a stress state. That movement pattern is gone. It now, all the information goes back, goes into our, like our, our old brain, right? Where we now. Made it the most. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Where we now start to process movement through there. We arch our back, we squeeze our shoulder blades together. So it's about exposing them to that. So I will, if I'm getting stuck and work with somebody for a while, I will start to play around with those kind of variables. And again, I will analyze, I will, you know, okay, well, this didn't work. Let's try this. This didn't work. Let's try this. I still know what I need to do. It's just this exercise may not work. This might. I may have to constrain them more because maybe they don't have good body awareness. Maybe they've been in this position for so long that I need as much help as I can to get this movement strategy. Maybe it's it's the same principle. I still know what I need to do, but maybe this person needs some manual therapy help as well, but very directive. Be like, okay. I still know this person needs left hip internal rotation. So I need some manual therapy help. Why don't you go to the manual therapist and make sure, you know, they're attacking the left posterior capsule, um, the left back, the left upper back, um, the right chest wall. Do you, or sorry, I'm sorry. No, the left chest and the right upper back. Mm-hmm. So left posterior capsule, right chest, sorry, left chest, right up the back, right? So I can now get targeted. And when, after they do that, I want you to get up off the table and I want you to just do, when you get home or whatever, when you do a couple rounds of this exercise, to lock it in, right? So you're re-educating that, that, uh, that movement pattern or you're, you're reintroducing like, okay, hey, you have this ability and this movement option now. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes like, again, I'm thinking like a baseball pitcher who, you know, is professional and they have exposure to all this stuff, but even if they don't, you know, it's like a, you'd be surprised. There's some that may not. Yeah. Some some that don't, but what they can do is, you know, in between like when they're doing their practice or whatever, you know, they're, they're, they're throwing and then say, okay, take a break, do this exercise, do one set and just kind of like feed it in constantly. Right. And so it kind of like, they're starting to get tired. Okay, do this. All right. Well, now I've got the movement. Now I'm still doing the pitching in a fatigued state. And then I keep on fitting it in any place that I can. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. That makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Because you got to almost not like unlearn, or I guess it is the right term is you're unlearning it, but you're also like introducing, hey, this is a, a different movement option that you can choose from versus the one that you've always been choosing. And I really like that, you know, a lot of people don't think that, oh, hey, just because they're fatigued, oh, we just got to increase their aerobic capacity. Not necessarily true. Like, yeah, that's how you probably get them to that. But that's not how you influence the change in the pattern. No, Joel Jameson does uh, high intensity continuous training. Mm -hmm. If you ever heard of that, it's like uh, HICT. It's basically like you get somebody to put a weight vest on or something. Or you get, it could be body weight and you say, Hey, what I want you to do is I want you to do step ups for three minutes, same leg, three minutes, or you can alternate. Yeah, but yeah. the intention is you're doing the same movement pattern. Okay. For three minutes, you're doing the step up. I want you to focus on inside heel, ball of big toe every single time. Right. 
Yeah, it's almost like system. you're activating that a little bit more. Yeah, you exactly. know, that, that neural pathway is like, okay, hey, this one, this yeah. one. Yeah, with aerobic capacity being built into it. Mm-hmm. You know, like I used to do that a lot. Like if I was, you know, rehabbing somebody's like knee or something like that, or, you know, like as a way to introduce some capacity into it, but still like unloading them. And, but I, I, I used to do it um, at the beginning of every off season for any athlete that I had, because yeah. it's just a great way to instill movement patterns while introducing some aerobic base. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. That was one thing, I guess, early on in my playing career, and this was like early 2000s, I was like very anti-aerobic. I was like, no, yeah. I'm, bowls, or I'm never doing this. And I was like, because I play in anaerobic and, you know, looking back, it was very oversimplified because it's like, it's, it's, it's bigger than that. And as I learned more, I was like, oh, all of your energy systems are always on. It's never. Always. Yeah. So it's like, okay, <laughs> you're, you're going to always have those um, contributing to either yeah. one, depending on what, whichever one is the the main one that's on, but one will be louder than the other at a certain but, moment. Exactly. And like, even as like a baseball player who, you know, like, as you said, like they're more in anaerobic, maybe a lactic phases. Sure. Yeah. It's, it's the recovery in between, but you don't have to, it doesn't mean you have to go for, you know, a two mile run every day to build the aerobic. You could do oh. something like the H the HICT, which is kind of like, you're starting in this like anaerobic and then it moves to aerobic because now you are, you know, doing it for a longer period of time, but I'm getting you to do for three minutes. I'm not getting you to do for 45 minutes an hour. Mm -hmm. Like probably don't need that, you know, the LSD type training or whatever it's called the long distance training. Right. Yeah, like, yeah. For sure. Well, and it's also one movement pattern. One, like if you're running, it's all straightforward. And yeah. You're, you're missing out on the other two planes of, of movement, which I myself personally have introduced, um, you know, Caldeeds, Van Dyke's like um, contralateral circuit and yeah. also nice. more than just straightforward. It's more like side to side, more rotational moves, you know, exactly. so they're, they're being exposed to different things versus just one repetitive, like short hip stride. Yeah, exactly. I used to do it with sleds and be like, Hey, um, so you got, I got the Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Monday, you're walking backwards to Wednesday, you're walking sideways Thursday mm -hmm. or Friday, you're working forward. And like, it would just be like three minutes. That's what you're ending with every time. Right. And so it's like, you can expose like all these different directions on different days too. Right. But I remember the contra, the, the, the contralateral training. I used to do that a lot. Yeah. And it was, I loved it. That was, that, was good. That, was, that was the first time I was exposed to it. And I, I went all in. I was like, hey, I'm going to keep my mouth closed, put tape over my mouth and everything. Which, you know, there's benefits to that, as you know, from just focusing on breathing. Um, yeah. So I guess let's let's kind of dive down that a little bit, just in, in general breathing. You know, everybody's like, oh, hey, yeah, I'm just breathing out of my mouth. Like, what good is that going to do? Well, it actually influences a lot, especially you mentioned earlier on about shoulder internal rotation. And a lot of people, when they think of the shoulder, they think, you know, just the shoulder joint or like, you know, maybe if they know a little bit more, they're like, oh, hey, scap and my clavicle are also influenced with that. But another big piece that a lot of people don't take into account a lot is the rib cage yeah. that, that does influence how those other pieces move, right? Yeah. And what's underneath the rib cage? 
Yeah, Bucks. exactly. It's the biggest thing. Like to me, like the rib cage. If you look, there's a term called axial skeleton and then appendicular. Axial skeleton is the rib cage, the spine, um, the head, as well as the sacrum. And then there's appendicular, which is everything else. It's your arms. And so I always say that you've got your tree trunk, which is your axial skeleton. And then you've got the branches, which is your arms and legs and scapula. You got to make sure the tree trunk is in the right position. Otherwise, the tree's going to fall. No the branches don't matter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so it's the same thing. Like everyone says, okay, the scapula, the scapula humeral rhythm, um, you know, the glenoid, as you said, like the AC joint. But like the biggest one that people don't consider is the thoracoscapular joint, which is, as you said, there's the thorax and how that influences the scapula. And really, the, 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 the rib cage and the lungs, you've got these big lungs, these big balloons inside. Every time I breathe in, they expand. Every time I um, breathe out, they compress. <clears throat> that is what's driving the scapular movement. That is what's driving humeral movement is the shape of the rib cage. I breathe in, I expand. I breathe out, I compress. If I breathe in, it's going to be more external rotation because what happens is think of where your shoulder, think of your shoulder blades and then being pushed out of the way because <clears throat> your, your rib cage is expanding. Mm-hmm. And if your if your if your back opens up, if it expands, that's how you get the external rotation. If you exhale, everything starts to compress, right? But you're not jamming down your sternum, but you're you're keeping your sternum up facing like towards gravity. You're not arching your back, but you're not collapsing your body, not rounding your shoulders. You're just staying tall and breathing out. Well, your sternum stays open and that's what improves your internal rotation. And so your clavicle is attached to your manubrium they call it the sternoclavicular joint, yep. right? That's a massive one when it comes to being able to take your hand and, and reach behind your back and touch your opposite shoulder blade, which that is shoulder extension, which is a massive part, especially for baseball, mm-hmm. being able to extend your shoulder. And then again, your, your sternum. So your your sternum position is going to indicate whether your shoulder is rounding forward or not. And so, or you have internal rotation or not. And so when you're looking at joints, what you're doing is you are taking the appendicular skeleton, the shoulder or the tree branches, and that is what's determining what's happening at the axial skeleton, the rib cage, the tree trunk. It's not what's happening at the joint itself. Because the joint itself is influenced by the shape and the position of your rib cage. If I jam my sternum down, so I crunch and I round, so that's going to cause my shoulders to round forward. That's going to cause the sockets of my shoulder to go in and point down to the ground. I am not going to have the ability to internally or externally rotate that shoulder. Because in order for that to happen, I need my pecs to get stiff. That's going to pull my shoulders in. And then I'm going to need my rhomboids, my upper trap, my levator, all those muscles that push my shoulder forward. So the pecs point the shoulder, um, point the shoulder forward. And then the 
traps and stuff are going to point the shoulder down towards the ground. And when that happens, in order for my arm to get back in like a, a peel back position or a layback, yep. I, I'm going to have to arch my back to do it because there is no, the whole rib cage is compressed. There's no space to move there. Mm-hmm. So if I want to actually get my shoulder up and out, which I need to do for external rotation, facing up towards the ceiling and out away from my body, then I have to arch my back to do so. I have to side bend my neck. Yeah. You're not getting any posterior tilt or anything like that. that Nothing. The posterior tilt of the scapula is coming from arching your back. Mm -hmm. That's how I'm doing it. Right. And then what people are not saying it wouldn't be a contributor without it, but yeah, you're getting more range of the, I guess you could say more fake layback. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You're getting the fake layback. You're getting the hypermobility that people get because what happens is the shoulder is, is in the certain position and then you arch your back and then you're throwing your arm back with force. And now the anterior shoulder, like ligaments, the anterior shoulder and the tendons, they start to get compromised. And then you start to get this crazy range of motion where you're getting like 110, 120 degrees of external rotation, but 10 of internal rotation. Sure. Yeah. That's right? really common in the baseball world though. Too. Massive, massive. And then what happens is I've blown through the ligaments in the front of my shoulder, but I still can't get the internal rotation. So what do I do? I use my wrist excessively. And now I start getting medial elbow pain because, or even lateral elbow pain, but yeah everything is now arching and rolling back. And now I've got no protection in the front of my shoulder because I've blown through it to get the external rotation. So now in order to get that internal rotation for the follow through, I've got to now excessively twist my wrist in. And now the force is being produced from my wrist, not from the whipping effect of the rib cage being able to rotate and then accelerate. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so I find like, again, a lot of times when I work with people who've got elbow stuff, it's okay. I've got to position the rib cage and then we got to figure out what's going on with the wrist, the hand is it twisted in too much. Yeah. As you have the ability to bend can extend, you know, but then you start getting more specific in those areas. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that thought process because, you know, the, the issue with some, coaches in in the baseball industry at least like they look at just one particular piece and like oh you have an elbow issue and they zoom in and just look at the elbow oh hey let's work on forearm flexor strength let's look on this i'll work on this i mean i'll say i i felt guilty that to some extent you know but much deeper than that you know it is and like and, and that's that's the difference between figuring out the root cause and look if i just focus on the shoulder then all of my exercises are specific to just the shoulder. That's where the arm care, banded external rotation, face pull, and all those things, that's how they came to light. It's like, it's a shoulder issue or that shoulder's rounded forward. Okay, I got to bring it back. So what I got to do is I got to do all these exercises that externally rotate my shoulder. Instead, you got to think, okay, well, the shoulder blade is is round on the inside, it's concave on the inside, which means it's got to sit on a 
convex or rounded rib cage, mm. right? So how do I restore that congruency between each other? Because what that's going to do is that's going to put the muscles in a position to be able to work versus saying, hey, your shoulders are rounded forward, your rhomboids are weak. It's like, no, your rhomboids are actually contracted and they're contracting a lot, but they appear to be weak because it's like you're flexing your bicep and say, hey, try to flex it more. I can't. You're in a disadvantageous position. Yeah. That's it. But the only reason why it looks like the rhomboids are are lengthened because the shoulders are rounded forward. I mean, they don't do that. It's because you've jammed your sternum down, right? And so it's a whole movement of the rib cage, kind of like an anterior tilt of the pelvis. It's an anterior tilt of the rib cage. Yeah. And so now your rhomboids look weak. And so you do all this rowing exercises and your shoulder pain just gets worse, right? <laughs> because yeah. it's- Yeah, no, it's very true. You're putting yourself further into that same pattern you're already in. Mm-hmm. And so understanding, hey, the, if I don't have shoulder internal rotation, what's happening is the my chest wall is compressed. I don't have external rotation. It means my, my back is compressed. Mm-hmm. How do I get space in those areas, which then puts the scapula in the right position? And then how do I reinforce that or how do i train that do you know what i mean like it's not about like when i was like working with when i started this industry i was saying that before we went on record i was working in a baseball facility baseball strength conditioning Mm -hmm. and we were doing um prone swimmers if you know what those are it's like like the eyes y's and t's yeah yeah, we did. and that's their your arm care program. Yeah, your arm care. We did yeah. like the, the wall slides with the lift off. Like we did all those things. And I'm like, okay, because we got to strengthen the lower trap. The lower trap is the muscle that's always weak in these people. Subscapularis is always weak. Serratus, always weak because <clears throat> they get this winged scap. And I wish I knew back then that those muscles were actually just not in a position to work. If I just address the rib cage position, and I don't mean going on my hands and knees and doing all fours and all that stuff. I right, right, right. It could, be just, it could be an arm bar. It could be a side plank. Um, it could be a bicep curl. Like there's so many different things that I could use. And like when I was working in the uh, university, like the arm care, because I had to do it because the, the coach was like, hey, I noticed you don't have any like arm care routines. My arm care was tricep kickbacks, preacher bicep curls, and side planks. And they're like, whoa, what about the banded stuff? I'm like, don't worry about that. These will be fine. And it really helped these people with their shoulders. And so it was like, it doesn't have to, like arm care is based on principles. How do I get the rib cage to be in a good position? to allow the scapula to move, how do I then train the humerus to be able to go through its full range? How do I make sure that the humerus is internally and externally rotating? And it's not just my, my, my wrist twisting yeah. and accepting. Mm-hmm. Not just getting forced pronation or supination. Yeah, exactly. It is. Yeah. What it should be is it should be a wave 
like I think of it like a wave-like effect of force. Okay. Like when my foot hits the ground, there should be like this ripple effect traveling up to my right shoulder. That's what allows the layback. And then the the wave then initiates with my arm turning in. And now that wave goes right back to that left foot. See what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's yeah, it's the what they people call it, the kinetic chain, or they call it all these, you know, different, different things. It's and you can tell when there's a restriction or a block in that wave or in that chain. Exactly. Because, you know, it's just like, oh, hey, there it seems like you have all of this flow and all of a sudden, <laughs> boom. Like there's just not or this kink in the hose. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's it's the kink in the chain. Like what is like so there's a picture that I use in all my courses where it's like a pebble being dropped in the water and it's surrounded by rocks. Mm-hmm. Right. There's a ripple effect. Like when you drop a pebble in the water, there's a ripple of the waves, but the waves hit the rock and it stops rippling. Mm. And to me, I see tight muscles or concentric muscles, um, compression, compensation as those rocks, right? And like, if you think of the pebble, the pebble is, um, you know, like, despite what people say like about it but like a foam roller like a foam roller you specifically like that is the pebble creating the wave on the rock it's moving the rock out of the way mm-hmm. i'm holding that rack position like i said um that's removing the rock in the back right and so it's like how do i remove these rocks to allow the ripple effect to happen all the way through the body yeah right? that's it and like is it is like, is the rib cage, is that the issue? Right. There's, there's one thing that like, I, I do like, it's not, you know, studied by science or anything like that, but I've done it before. Just, just out of curiosity where I'll have somebody laying on their back on like a table or the ground and I'll take their leg and I'll abduct it a little bit. So it's angled with their opposite shoulder and I'll just like shake their leg to see kind of where the ripple effects go through their body and where it stops. And it's actually been pretty accurate. Like it's been pretty good where sometimes like so they're laying, laying, they're laying supine. They're laying like, supine. And you and take their leg the and bring it to the side. Yeah. yeah. And I'm looking at the opposite shoulder and I'm shaking it. And sometimes, and sometimes the shoulder won't even move, but their stomach will move. And like, there's no movement above the ribs. Okay. Hey, this probably isn't a pelvis issue. It's a rib cage issue, right? And then I go to the rib cage. Like it's nothing. Like it's kind of like a confirmation. It's not what I make my decisions on, but something that I've been testing as of late, and it's been actually pretty accurate comparing it to other measurements that would determine the same thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's just another way to think about the ripple effect of the body. I really like that because it, you know, you could break that down into like fascial slings or anything else, right? Because that's that's the ripple effect that you're looking at to to go through. Hundred percent. And there you go. You just added a different layer to a model. Yeah. If the model is based on fundamental principles, look, there's a one of my favorite authors for gate is Thomas Michaud. And he wrote a book called Human Locomotion, and he just came out with a book called Injury Free Running. And he talks about how if you walk some, if you watch somebody running, 
when they contact the ground, you can see the ripple effect going through their muscles, the vibration going through their muscles, like from their, from their leg, from their abs, like their abs kind of like twist as they're coming across, right? All these different things. And he says that what some people or what he does sometimes is he will put them on like a vibration machine or something. And he'll look at like, what's where are the waves going? But more importantly, he talks about, hey, the vastus lateralis is a major force absorber. But a lot of people's vastus lateralis is, a, is concentric, it's tight. And so if that doesn't absorb force, then the waves go towards the patellar tendon. And now this little itty bitty tendon has to take on all this force, all this absorption. And so that concept right there is, hey, there's vibration going through our body. There's a ripple effect going through our body. If the ripple doesn't go and gets absorbed where it should, there's going to be some problems, mm-hmm. right? There's increased stiffness. Like stiff muscle is just an area where force is getting absorbed that it shouldn't. My lower back, my calves, my quads, like my inner quad, you know what I mean? Like my adductors, right? Yeah. And so what I try to do, Garrison, is I try to look at every, like I try to go back to like fundamental principles of gait and breathing and think about how does the fascial slings come into play? How does neurology come into play? Like what people are talking about. Um, how does like the research into different specific areas like Achilles tendinopathy, patellar tendinopathy, right? Like where are these major injuries coming from? And honestly, you can apply everything to gait if you want to. I'm not saying that, you know, I'm do taking a hand. Uh, yeah. Do you assess gait often? Yeah. With athletes? Yeah. You, you, obviously it's a, a moving. And I mean, that, that I think that's a perfect thing too assess because it's it's different than just like a static posture yeah. static movement right because like it's just only telling you part of the picture exactly and what i'll do is if they're like a runner for example mm-hmm. and i'll get them to record their running send it to me and I'll, and so send it to me in a normal speed and a uh a slow motion right and they could do that on a treadmill i don't really care um but like it's an I mean, gait is, is running as well, right? So it's just that's specific to them. So if I have a baseball player, for example, I'll have them walk a gait. Um, I'll have them send me, like I said, the pictures of them pitching and the slow motion of them pitching. Yeah. Or you need way. that context too, absolutely. Yeah. You need that context is specific to them. And everything that I say in part of their assessment needs to relate back to exactly what they are coming to me for or their sport. It's like, if I say, oh, you actually don't have that much shoulder internal rotation. They're like, so it's like, okay, well, look at, so look at this. You don't have a lot of shoulder internal rotation. Take a look at this picture. Do you see what you're doing when you, when you're following through? Do you see how you're arching your, your back to get there? Do you see how you're hiking the hip up? Do you see how that, that lead leg is totally turned out to left field, right? See all these things? Yeah. Okay. Well, this internal rotation has the ability to cause all of that. This interpretation that you're doing is coming from your wrist because your shoulder can't do it. 
your opposite hip can't do it, your rib cage can't do it. And so you're doing all these compensations and this is, this could be a reason why you're experiencing this. Okay. I get it now. I get how the left shoulder contributes to everything. So now what we're going to do is we're going to do some exercises in order to improve that chain. Now they're bought in, right? So not only am I taking the pictures or looking at the video uh, because it gives me information, but it gives them buy-in as well. Sure. Yeah. But I'll look at gate as a way, like I'll get them to send me posture pictures. Um, I'll get them to send me pictures of their feet all the way to their mid thigh. Cause I can see how their body's managing gravity. Um, I can see basically from a foot picture, do they have the ability to extend their big toe? Do they have the weight on the outside of their feet? Like extension to big toe is a big deal when we're talking about, you know, especially the picture, for example, it's like, I need my big toe to extend in order to propel to the other side. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, then I'll look at their gait. Then I'll look at dynamic movements like your squat, your toe touch, uh, maybe a lunge. Um, if they're sometimes I'll do like a, a standing forward lunge type thing just to see how they're contacting the ground. Um, and then I'll, I'll do like, you know, hip extension, hip internal, external rotation, shoulder flexion. And what I'm looking at is not, not just how much range of motion they have. I'm not saying, okay, You've got 15 degrees of internal rotation. Okay. Like that just means your hip only has internal 15 degrees. No, I'm saying this is what the shape of the pelvis is based on this range. That range. Yep. 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 I need to create a different shape. Right. And then that's how I will select exercises. So you're creating a different shape. So yeah, this, this is a really interesting topic for me because this is where a lot of people kind of are starting to break down um, like how they're loading into their back hip. Yes. Right. So it's like, Oh, Hey, you have more internal rotation range. So you load it, you know, this way where you're kind of coiling or doing all this. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so if, if you, you, you get that information, you're like, okay, Hey, like you don't have any internal rotation. So you need to load it in this way. Do you still try to open up that range and say like, Hey, we're going to get enough or like more than what we have, but you're not expecting them to completely change that uh, pattern. Right. Or am I wrong? So, so let's say I've got 15 degrees of left hip internal rotation and I've got uh, 30 degrees of, or let's say I've got 45 degrees of external rotation. So I'm, I'm okay with external. I still okay. need a little bit more, but I need to really improve that left internal. Yeah, and yeah. let's just say for hypothetically the right side's good. It's got everything. Let's just say for simplicity's sake. So, if I want to do something like a right foot forward, left foot back, staggered stance position, and I want to take a, a cable and I want to do a cable chop into the left hip, mm-hmm. okay, or I want to do a staggered stance deadlift, or let's do that staggered stance deadlift. So I've got a dumbbell in my right hand. And it's over my left thigh and I'm doing a, a deadlift. Okay. In order for me to do that movement and get a stretch in my back pocket, what needs to happen is the left foot or the left hip needs to be able to internally rotate. 
because the weight is coming across my body. If you think of like taking your arm and you're swinging it across your body, what's going to happen is as you swing across your body, the momentum is going to take you on the outside of your left foot. So what I have to do is I have to slam my left foot in. So I'm pressing on the inside of my left foot so that the direction of, of momentum goes back into my left hip. So by doing something like that, I'm improving internal rotation of my left hip. And because my left foot is back and the weight is heavier on my right side of my body because I'm holding the, the weight on my right arm, my center of gravity now has to go back on my left side. So by just keeping my left leg there and the pressure on the inside of my left foot and holding the dumbbell in my right hand, I'm going to improve external and internal rotation because external rotation has to do with my center of gravity moving backwards. Internal rotation has to do with me being able to do that, but staying within my base of support. And what I mean by base of support is if I go outside of it, I will hike my hip or I'll roll on the outside of my foot. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it's as if you stand up with your feet together, you cross your arms and you turn your whole body towards the left and you don't let the left foot turn out. Yeah. And as you staying within your base of support. So you gain internal rotation there. So again, I'm thinking about internal rotation, but I don't need to stretch it to get there. I don't need to feel a certain stretch to get there. I just need to make sure that they are feeling the right pressure points on their foot and their knee is not swinging out the left field. Right? Yeah. I like that. And when it comes to shapes, so I've got external rotation, which is the pelvis is opening up like a flower. And I've got internal rotation where it's as if I grab your waist and I squeeze your waist together so that the top part of the pelvis comes together and the bottom opens up. If I've got somebody who has a lot of external rotation, but not a lot of internal, I can suspect that that pelvis is probably more open like a flower. Mm-hmm. So what I do with some people is a quick way to improve internal rotation is I take a foam roller, I get them to lay on top of it right on their belt line and just hang out there because what the foam roller is going to do is it's going to act as the anterior glute med, which if the pelvis open like a flower, it can't work very well. And that anterior glute med will compress the pelvis laterally, squeeze the pelvis together. And then now I've changed the shape of the pelvis to allow that muscle to work on future exercises. Hmm. It's a quick way. Now, we're, we're talking about bones here. And so we know that the pelvis doesn't move that much, but we are talking about how the moment of the muscle contraction acts on the bone that allows the femur to be able to move properly. Yeah. So what I'm doing is I'm the foam roller is becoming my anterior glute med. It's compressing the upper part of the pelvis, and that creates that internal rotation shape of the pelvis. Nice. Yeah. Right. 
so I can do things like that. And, and that way I don't, again, have to do something like a banded, you know, monster walk or something like that to get the anterior glute meat. I can just be like, Hey, you came in early. Awesome. Go over there, lay down on the foam roller for a minute. Let's wait for other people to come in. You need internal rotation. Or if it's a one-on-one client, it's like, Hey, why don't you lay on this? You don't have to lay on this foam roller right now. Uh, but in between the, our next sessions, I want you to be doing this a couple times a day. Just lay on top of it. You're watching TV, just lay on top of it. Hmm. It's going to be something that helps reinforce what we're trying to get um, even in between sessions. That, like, yeah. That's your part, right? I like that. It's simple too. It's just like, hey, like, do this. everyone's got a foam roller or a yoga block or even a towel at home. You know, like everyone has that at this point. Cow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. So I like that. Yeah. The best way is, you know, you keep it simple and you're you're able to keep it all yeah. Sending the like, signal that you're trying to get out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Like I like just to start conversation, I will bash stretching online. I don't have a problem with it. But it's to create conversation that, hey, there are other alternatives. Because I've had so many clients come to me and say, hey, my hip flex was tight. Do you do any exercise for it? Yeah, I've been stretching it for like two years. It's like, okay, well, there's got to be something else, right? So um, it's the same thing with a foam roller. But for me, if I use a foam roller, I can get to lay on top of it and they will feel it. They will feel like, oh, that's like a major trigger point. Yeah, I use the terms like we're going to release that trigger point. I know that we're not doing that. I know that something else is happening, but I get to meet them in the middle. They get to feel it. And so now they're willing to do it. It's like, wow, that's nasty in there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's, it's tender because the, the joint's not you know, where we want it to be. So they're more willing to do it because they have this immediate feedback like, oh, this is you know not that good versus... Me doing internal rotation, doing like a, a glute bridge type exercise, and then improving internal rotation. Like, wow, you see how much more range we got? Kinda. It's like, no, they can feel <laughs> the foam roller digging into their head, right? Yes. So it's a good feedback for them as well that they'll actually do it. I like it. And then from there, then you're you're able to build on that and progress them to help them move standing up and into the actual skill. Yeah. Yeah. For, for me, it's just like, let's do the foam roller for like 30 seconds. Great. We improved that internal rotation that we could have maybe done an exercise, another exercise to do, but guess what? You've done that internal rotation. Okay. Let's step up. Let's stand up. Let's do stance deadlifts. Now let's reinforce it. Let's get a little more. It's just a quick way. I don't use it as a way to correct anything. I just use it as a way to give me some room to work in mm-hmm. that's it yeah you know? cool i like yeah. it i like it that's really cool mm-hmm. awesome. well yeah we've definitely been been going for for a while and definitely been enjoying this one um but want to be respectful of your time alex because i know we only cut off roughly about an hour but where can the the people listening you know find you find out more information about you know how to work with you things like that yeah, so most of my uh, posts and everything, like most of my information comes out on Instagram. My handle's at Alex, my first name, dot effer, my last name. 
Um, you can also find me at resilientrehab.com. Um, yeah, like all the stuff that we're talking about is all principles that I put together in my Evolve mentorship in my other courses, my upper and lower body program. And yeah, they're just ways that I've, you know, during COVID, I, you know, I lost all my clients because, you know, it was a big thing. And um, so from there, I started, you know, writing down my model on like what I was doing with clients on a piece of paper and started presenting it. So that's basically what Evolve is and my upper and lower body program. So yeah, that's where you can find me. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Alex, I really appreciate you coming on. It was definitely awesome hearing your perspective on everything and how you know, you're seeing everything through your lens of coaching. And for those of you listening, hope you got something out of it. Share the show if you did and stay in the zone.